Mr. Clean gets rid of dirt and grime and grease in just a minute. Mr. Clean will clean your whole house and everything that's in it. Floors, doors, walls, halls, white sidewall tires and old golf balls. Sinks, stoves, bathtubs he'll do. He'll even help clean laundry too. Mr. Clean gets rid of dirt and grime and grease in just a minute. Mr. Clean will clean your whole house and everything that's in it. Can he clean a kitchen sink? Quicker than a wink. Can he clean a window sash? Faster than a flash. Can he clean a dirty mirror? He'll make it bright and clearer. Can he clean a diamond ring? Mr. Clean cleans anything. Mr. Clean gets rid of dirt and grime and grease in just a minute. Mr. Clean will clean your whole house and everything that's in it. Mr. Clean, Mr. Clean. Osborne Orchestra, the great song styles of Connie Haynes and Bob Matthews. And that Humpty Dumpty little daddy's boy, who when asked what he'd like to give his father next Sunday, quickly replied, Costello, you Come got... on, lady. Costello, you, you've got the wackiest family I've ever saw. Yesterday, they were all walking around the house, all walking around the house carrying signs. Well, we've got to do that, Abbott. We're picketing the kitchen. Picketing the kitchen? What for? Shorter hours between meals and longer spaghetti. <laughs> and another thing, Costello, I noticed that you've got three police dogs sleeping in your parlor. When did you buy them? We didn't. Them police dogs, they don't belong to us, Abbott. They're... Then what are they doing in your parlor? The finance company put them there to watch the furniture. <laughs> Costello, what you... All right, love, please. How can you have all your relatives living with you? We put bleachers in our guest room. Oh, please. What a bunch. I noticed your Uncle Artie Stebbins has a very bad cold. How does that happen? Well, you see, Uncle Artie sleeps with his pet skunk. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, the skunk got up and opened the window. No, that's great, Dick. That's Ah, yes, 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 I get it. That's ridiculous. Tell me, Costello. Will you listen to me, please? Is your Uncle Mike still living with you? I beg your pardon? Is your Uncle Mike still living with you? Oh, my Uncle Mike. You know, I was lost for a second. Well, you should. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, and he's very helpful around the house. He is? Last week, he connected the radio up to the washing machine. Mm, What good is that? Now, every time my mother washes Pop's red flannels, Frank Sinatra sings, Super sad, super sad, lots of more super sad. Yeah. All right. Will you please? What's the matter with you? Super sad? Yeah, you said that. (laughs) We'll get a case of super sad. All right. All right, we'll get it, but that's not the point. Your father should uh, ask him to move. Oh, he will when he finds out that Uncle Mike hung the shower curtains in the living room. He hung the shower curtains in the living room? What happened? What happened? Well, my Aunt May went to take a bath. She slipped off her bathrobe, grabbed the soap, pulled back the shower curtains, and stepped right out on the front porch. <laughs> and she sang Super Sad! Look, uh, Costello, what became, what became of your cousin, uh, Tilly? Doesn't she live at your house anymore? Oh, no, we had to get rid of Tilly, Abbott. She was, she was ruining our front hall. Tilly was ruining your front hall? Yeah, she's so bow-legged, she scraped all the paper off the wall. <laughs> tell me, tell me, Costello. How did your cousin Tilly get so bullied? That was caused by the trip she took coming from Patterson to Hollywood. Oh, no, no, no. How could Tilly's trip from New Jersey to California make her bullied? She hitchhiked the ride on a oil truck. <laughs> <laughs> Costello, 
Costello, why did your family ever come to California in the first place? Well, my Uncle Mike came out here to sell his invention. He invented magnetized cheese for catching rats. Magnetized cheese for catching rats? Yes. And this cheese is so powerful that any rat will stick to it like glue. Well, why doesn't your Uncle Mike sell it? He can't get it out of his hand. <laughs> oh, that's preposterous. <laughs> All your Uncle Mike does around here is go to the racetrack. I saw him out there Saturday. He had to go to the racetrack, Abbott, to work on his new experiment. He's crossing a horse with a fish. Now, wait a minute, Costello. That, that's impossible. Nobody can cross a horse with a fish. Well, I heard him tell my Aunt May that he put a fin on a horse's nose. All right, look. <laughs> Costello, you're a nimbusel. Why do you continually insist on showing your ignorance? What's the good of having ignorance if you can't show it? <laughs> you are even dumber than your Uncle Mike. Why did your Aunt May ever marry him? She married Uncle Mike because she reminded her of her first seven husbands. Your Aunt May had seven husbands, and they were all like your Uncle Mike. What a gamble she took with love. Yeah, she finally hit the jerk pot. The judge. <laughs> Costello, I sympathize with your father, living with that bunch of parasites. What did you say? I said your relatives are parasites. That's a lie. They are not parasites. They're Americans just like you and me. Oh. <laughs> Costello. Why don't you do something to make your father happy this time? Look, why don't you go out and get a job? Oh, I couldn't do that, Abbott, because I promised my mother I would never hurt anybody's feelings. Your getting a job couldn't hurt anybody's feelings. It could hurt mine. <laughs> Besides, I tried to get a job in the Air Force as a bombardier, but they turned me down. Yeah, I don't believe that. Okay, I'll read you this letter they sent me. Here it says, right here. Dear Lou Costello, we cannot use you in the Air Force as a bombardier. The general listened to your program last Thursday night, and he said Costello may be all right on the radio, but how do we know he can raise those eggs from 10,000 feet? Ah, get him out of there! Get him out! Romantic Bob Matthews. With Will Osborne and the orchestra, Bob sings, There's No You.
Well, tell Stella, there's a taxi. Call him. Call a taxi? Yeah, call him. Oh, taxi! Taxi! Hey, hey, cabbie, are you engaged? No, but I'm going steady. <laughs> okay, okay, hop in. Hop in. I'll take you down to the department store so you can get a present for your father. How did you know we were going there? I got a script, too. <laughs> If your father wasn't my landlord, I'd fire you off this show tonight, brother. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And if I wasn't bigger than you, I'd punch you right in the nose. It so happens that I am bigger than you. That's a better reason. <laughs> oh, come on, Costello. Let's go before the store closes. <laughs> My goodness, Costello, this department store is certainly crowded. Oh, this is nothing. You should have been here with me Saturday. They had a sale on men's trousers. What a mob. How them women were grabbing the stuff. One little short woman in back of me kept hollering, I gotta get some trousers for my husband. I gotta get some trousers for my husband. Did she get them? She must have. I went home without my pants. <laughs> I'm begging your pardon, Saturday boy. Aren't you Lucas Fellow? Yeah, that's me. Well, I've been following you all around the store. I got a very important message for you. It's a special delivery. It's a special delivery. It's a special delivery. Special delivery? No, a telegram. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's 50 cents collect. Okay, here's the 50 cents. Ah, uh, thanks. I'll sing it to you. Happy Father's Day to you. Happy Father's Day to you. Oh. Happy Father's Day to you. Lucas the Hill. Lucas the Hill. Lucas the Hill. Lucas Costello. No, Bud Abbott. <laughs> Look, will you, who sent that telegram? I did. You did. Well, in the first place, this isn't Father's Day. And in the second place, you don't even know me. Yeah, that's right. But can you think of a better way to make a half a buck? Ah, <laughs> oh, so long, you chubby little rascal. <laughs> well, that's what you get for talking to strangers, Costello. But come on, we've got to find a present for your father. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's the undies department, and I need some. Hey, clerk. What's on your mind, rough, round, and repulsive? I'd like to see some underwear that would fit me. Who wouldn't? They got funnier lines than me! For your information, Tubby, this is a ladies' lingerie department, and I am a Model C. A Model C? You look more like a Model T. <laughs> Young man, be careful how you talk to that lady. She may be a woman. <laughs> Boy, this show is suffering. This show is suffering from too much help. Hey, have a try that guy. Oh, no, we can't. The Manpower Commission throws him to this job. Yeah, well, remind me to defrost him in the morning. Hey, Costello, there's the notion counter over there. Maybe we could get something there, huh? Oh, look at that girl behind the counter. Ain't she beautiful? Woo! Gorgeous. Have you got any notions? No. And if you all got any, you'd better get rid of them. <laughs> My father is a store detective, and he's 65 feet tall. He weighs 270 pounds, 
And yesterday, a fresh guy like you flirted with me and my daddy bashed his head in. Now, what do you want? Glove, socks, or handkerchief? I'll take an aspirin. <laughs> hey, look, Costello. Now, there's something that would be very nice for your father. A nice, soft pillow. Filled up with down. Up with down? Certainly. <laughs> you see that pillow up there? That's down. How can it be down if it's up there? You dummy, I'm not talking about where it is. I'm talking about what it is. The pillow is up, but it's down. It's up, but it's down? Abbott, are we both looking at the same pillow? Of course, of course, that pillow up there. Then you admit that the pillow is up. Certainly it's up, but it's down. Look, I've been watching that pillow and it ain't moved yet. It's still up there. That's right. You just said it was down. How did it get down? It didn't get down. It is down. It's always been down. That pillow is down even when it's up. One of us is nuts, brother. That pillow is down, Costello. You get down off a duck's back. That's a lie. I never even got up on a duck's back. I... I didn't say you got up on a duck's back. I said you get down off a duck's back. How can I get down off a duck if I never got on a duck? Listen, please. You don't listen. get off a duck's back if you don't get on it. Yeah, now listen, you dummy. When I say the pillow is down, I don't mean down like in the direction down. I mean down like the kind of down you get when you get down off a duck's back. And that kind of down can be up or down, and it's still down. Oh, when you say the pillow was down, you don't mean down like the direction down. You mean down like the kind of down you get when you get down off a duck's back, and that kind of down can be up or down, and it's down. Now you've got it. Well, I got it. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Get him out of here. Well, fellas, hold on now. Here's lovely Connie Haynes with a kiss. A kiss, good night. A kiss, good night is all right. But remember this, that a kiss, good night leads to another kiss. A kiss, good night with a hug real tight is nothing short of bliss. And a kiss, good night, leads to another kiss. It's an old custom for a boy and a girl to embrace in some secluded space. Little Mr. Cupid never could be quite so stupid as to do a turn by face.
Well, Costello, we've been all through the store, and you still haven't bought your father's present. I don't know what to get him, Abbott. Mm. Every time I get him a present, he loses it. Last year, I bought him a watch. He lost it. You bought him a watch, and he lost it? Yeah. Uh, how did he lose it? He couldn't keep up the payment. I... <laughs> Talk sense, Costello. Look. Hey, there's your Aunt Eva in the uh, sporting goods department. Now, I wonder what she's shopping for. Oh, she's going to buy my Uncle Tom a shotgun. Did your Uncle Tom tell her what kind of a shotgun to get? No. He don't even know she's going to shoot him. <laughs> and Eve is very mean to your Uncle Tom. She is not. Two years ago, she made him a sponge cake. A sponge cake? Yep. He still uses it every time he takes a bath. <laughs> well, now, that's silly, Costello. Look, why don't you get your father a book or a game? Something to, to amuse him. Well, I couldn't do that, Abbott. Last Christmas, I got him an electric train to play with, and he had a terrible accident. Oh, now, come, come. How could your father have an accident with a toy train? He was running it in the living room, and when the train went by... He thought he saw an empty seat, and he jumped for it. <laughs> All right. He thought he saw an empty seat, and he jumped for it. You said that. Well, I got a bigger laugh the second time. Well, All right. Say it again, then. I don't care. He thought he saw an empty seat, and he jumped for it. <laughs> All right, look. You know seats are tough to get. Yeah, all right, look. Hold on. I've got an idea. Why don't you get him something to wear? How about, hey, how about a, a full-dress suit? Oh, you know my father ain't a fancy dresser. Well, your mother should make him dress up. Dress up? Why, my mother has to sprinkle tax around the house to get him to wear shoes. <laughs> Costello, there must be something that your father needs. I got it. I know exactly what he needs. What is it? I'll get him a vest with rubber pockets. Uh, what does your father need a vest with rubber pockets for? Because when he eats out, he always likes to take home the wet tea bags. <laughs> Joke, huh? Anything, get it. Anything to get it, Sam. Go ahead, buy him the vest. And now, Costello, uh, if you're going to step out with your father, you should get yourself a new suit. All your clothes look terrible. <laughs> I can't help it. I wish I had somebody to pick up my clothes for me. Now, you know, I'm glad you said that, Costello, because right here in this store, they have the world's greatest authority on men's clothes. Ah, greetings, gentlemen. I am the world's greatest authority on men's styles, Professor Mellonhead. <clears throat> Better known as Fashion Place Melonhead. Fashion what, Melonhead? Fashion Place. 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 Your head looks more like a soup bowl. <laughs> hey, get a load of that shiny dome. I see more hair on a 10 cent toothbrush. Costello, <laughs> wherever I go, my head arouses admiration. Your head would arouse the mother instinct in an ostrich. <laughs> and it would get results. Now, now, Costello, you should knock the professor's head. I've knocked better-looking things than that with a croquet mallet. <laughs> hey, Melonhead, if you can get two more guys with heads like yours, I can get a job. Doing what? Hanging out in front of a pawn shop. <laughs> with a skull like yours, I'll bet you don't get any girls. No, for your information, Costello, I get more girls than I can shake a stick at. Yeah, but who wants to go around shaking sticks at girls? <laughs> oh, come, come, Costello. We're wasting time. Uh, Professor Melonhead, huh? you think you could make a well-dressed man out of Costello? Have it? I could make two well-dressed men out of him and have enough left over to make an overstuffed midget. <laughs> now, Costello, the trouble with you, Mr. Luke Costello, is that you're out of shape. Look at you. Instead of your shoulders being square, your stomach is square. Well, I can't help it, Melonhead. That's because I eat Wheaties. Whoa. <laughs> Wheaties? Eating Wheaties makes your stomach square? I eat the boxes, too. <laughs> now, Costello, look. To correct the slope in your shoulders, I will have to pad them up. What are you going to pad them up with? Down. Up with down? Down is up, yes. Give up the back of the Now, wait a minute. Oh, no, 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 no,
Who's that first? Who's that first? All right, never mind that. What's on check? No one said anything of the kind. Shut up, Costello. The professor is only trying to help you. Of course, Mr. Rabbit. Well, I'm lost again. All right. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Go right ahead, Professor. Thank you. I do. Mr. Abbott is right. <laughs> <laughs> it's my turn. Mr. Abbott is right, Costello. You look like an embryonic wharf rat. Now, look, what's the idea of wearing... Find a... place to find my part. <laughs> and I'll find it on wharf rat. <laughs> look how you're dressed. What's the idea of wearing that locket around your neck? You shouldn't have mentioned that, Melonhead. No. I wear this locket as a remembrance to my old girlfriend, poor Ruby. In here is a lock of her hair. Oh, I'm sorry. Is Ruby gone? Nope, but her hair is. Oh. <laughs> Why, you irritating imbecile, if I were your father, I'd give you a Mickey. Melonhead, if you was my father, I'd take it. <laughs> calm, calm, Professor. All this is not getting Costello dressed up now. You're right, Abbott. Costello, how about your clothes? Do you have flannel? Yes. you have gabardine? Yes. you have twills? What? I said, do you have twills? Only when I go out with dirt. <laughs> Costello, I will repair your entire sartorial ensemble. First, I will put a zipper on your seersucker. I'll cut the frayed edges off your cashmere. I will twist your tweed, shorten your shit. I'll take a sharp needle, put a few stitches in your worsted, and then I will run a hot iron over your herringbone. You wouldn't dare. <laughs> you haven't got the nerve. Hut, hut, Costello. Don't hut, hut me, Melonhead. This time you have gone too far. I didn't say nothing when you took me for a sucker with that zipper. I kept my mouth shut when you put twisted weed in my Chevrolet. I didn't squeal when you took that sharp needle and put stitches in that in innocent cashier. When you took that hot iron and deliberately burned that poor herring bones, you not only impute on my good name, but you have passed aspersions on Hart Schaffner and Groucho Marx. Oh, get him out of here. You've been listening to the Abbott and Costello Show with Will Osborne and his orchestra, Ken Niles, and with songs by Bob Matthews and Connie Haynes. In the time that remains, we present music by Harry Sosnick and his orchestra, chorus, and piano soloists.
now Toby Reed with a word of something that is really a matter of life and death. And that is, Toby... A blowout, Walter. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, a blowout in one of the tires on your automobile. Did you ever stop to think that if you're driving at today's top speed of 35 miles an hour and a blowout swerves your car into an oncoming truck, which travels at the same speed, the resulting crash has a force of 70 miles an hour. Now, that's enough to double you right over the steering wheel and push the engine through the dash. Yet there is actually no need for a blowout to throw your car out of control, not if the car is equipped with Goodyear lifeguards. For the lifeguard is an inner tire, a two-ply safety tire within a tube. It replaces the conventional inner tube, and if your outer tire and tube blow, the inner tire of the lifeguard remains inflated, holds the car steady so you can come to a sure, safe stop. That's the kind of blowout protection your family needs, and such sure protection it is that never once has a lifeguard been reported to fail. Never once. Think it over. Ask your Goodyear dealer if he has any of the few lifeguards now available. If so, equip your car with lifeguards, which are now ration-free. For remember, when your tire blows out, the Goodyear lifeguard never lets you down. From Hollywood, Colgate Tooth Powder for a breath that's sweet and teeth that sparkle presents the Mel Blanc Show. Powder for a breath that's sweet and teeth that sparkle brings you the Mel Blanc Show with Mary Jane Croft, Earl Ross, Dee Benedaret, Leora Thatcher, Zookie, and Victor Miller in his orchestra. You've heard Mel Blanc is the happy postman. Hello, Mrs. Burns. Here's your mail. Well, goodbye, Mrs. Burns. Remember, keep smiling. You've heard him as the famous train caller. Train leaving on track five for Anaheim, Azusa, and Coop. Come on, You've heard him as the lovable character, Zookie. Well, in the fix-it shop, I'm the... I'm the vice president. I'm the treasurer. I sweep out the place. You've heard him as the famous Warner Brothers cartoon character, Bugs Bunny. What's up, guy? Now hear him as the star in his own show. Hello, Mel Blanc's fix-it shop. You bend it, we mend it. Does your vacuum cleaner vick when it should vac? Does your clock tock when it should tick? Well, why not bring them to Mel Blank, who can make anything work? Except his Uncle Rupert. We find Mel on the phone. Hello, Mel Blank's fix-it shop. You bend it, we mend it. Uh, recharge your storage battery? Oh, the battery in your hothouse for the plants. Oh, I won't forget. I'm making a note of it right now. Put amps in plants. <laughs> and goodbye. Say, nephew, I hope you haven't forgotten we're all going to the county fair tomorrow. Gosh, no, Uncle Rupert. Why, Zuki here is starting to dress up for it already. Zuki, where did you get that high, stiff collar? It's eight inches high if it's an inch. Yes, my lad, it can't possibly be comfortable. Oh, it's a comfortable, comfortable, all right. You see, it doesn't bother me a bit. But every time I hiccup, my head disappears. Oh, for the love of heaven. Look, Uncle, here comes Betty. Take Zuki in the back of the shop and get that thing off his neck, huh? Yes, come on, Zuki, come on. Hello, Betty. Oh, Mel, I'm so excited about the county fair tomorrow, aren't you? Yeah. Gee, I hope we have as much fun as we did last year. Hey, remember the tunnel of love? Uh-huh. Betty, this time, let's get seats together. <laughs> oh, silly. But, Mel, tomorrow I think I may have a surprise for you. Surprise? Yes. What would you say if I won the cake-baking contest at the fair? Well, honey, I, I'd say, uh, gosh. <laughs> oh, I'm sure I can win. I'm using Mother's prize-winning recipe. I want to show you what a good cook I am. 
You know, I think sometimes girls pay too much attention to their looks. After all, men prefer girls who can cook, too. Oh, I don't know. I've heard fellas say, boy, has she got a shape. But I never heard them say, boy, has she got recipes. <laughs> well, just the same, Mr. Blank. You'll be getting a good cook when we're married. If we're ever married. Oh, gosh, honey, I want us to get married soon. Go ahead, you just name the day. Now, we have named the day four times already. Huh? Oh, yeah. Now, if we could only decide on the year. <laughs> oh, honestly, darling, you, you should become more serious about your business. Now, now, now remember, now be businesslike. All right. Hello, Mel Blanc's Fix-It Shop. You bend it, we mend it. Who? Oh, the Y. Oh, it, it's the Y, honey. Hello? Yeah? Do I know how to get to the Y? Sure. I was there last week with a friend, and we had a swim and a rub-down together. It, it, wait. L look, look. Hey, hey, please, I, I only meant... What's the matter, darling? It's the YWCA. Oh. Yeah, I, I'll be right over. Uh, thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> What a businessman. What'd they want? Oh, well, they want me to fix an oven. I'll go over and land all their fix-it business, just for you. Ah, uh, that's the way I like to hear you talk. I'll go down there and really sell myself. They won't be able to say no to me about anything. Remember, darling, it's the YWCA. Huh? Oh, well, almost anything. <laughs> Now, ladies of the cooking class, that'll be all for now. You've baked some lovely cakes today. And remember, the one I think is best is going to represent the YWCA at the county fair tomorrow. Well, come back later, girls, and I'll announce the winner. Uh, I beg your pardon, ma'am. Goodness, a man! Thank you. Uh, I'm Mel Blank. What can I do for you, young man? I'm Stanhope, the cooking teacher. Oh, how do you do, Mrs. Stanhope? Miss Stanhope. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. You're sorry. <laughs> well, if you'll show me the oven, I'll get right to work. I told the secretary I'd start right in. This is odd. Very odd. Oh, I do a lot of odd jobs. I must take this up with the membership committee. Well, there's your stove right there. Thanks. And you'll find all the ingredients for baking a cake. Me? Bake a cake? Please, but... please, you were late to start with, so get to your pots and pans. But, young man, the secretary sent you here, didn't she? Yeah, but... Well, very well, then, start baking. I'll be back later to see how it turns out. Extremely odd. Unheard of. Hey, just a minute, I... I... Gosh, what does she want me to do? Bake a cake to prove I can fix an oven? <laughs> what a silly way to run a place. Boy, am I glad I joined the YMCA. What do I know about cooking? Well, here goes for you, Betty. Gosh, I'm following the recipe on this box, but I'm not getting anywhere. Says break six eggs, beat till stiff. That's silly. Some people get stiff quicker than others. Now add a level teaspoon of vanilla. <laughs> Whoever heard of a level teaspoon? The stuff would roll off. Now before putting in cake, stand near open window and cool off. Cool off? I don't even feel warm. Oh, this is silly. This batter won't even stick together. Hey, wait a minute. Nobody's going to eat this cake. I know what'll make it stand up. Yes, sir, I'll mix in a little putty. 
Ladies, ladies, come here to Mr. Blank's stove. This marble cake is a work of art. Why, it looks just as though it was modeled out of clay. However did you do it? Oh, I just stuck a few things together. But now do I get the job? You certainly do. Swell. Even though it's a bitter blow to all of us girls, a man is going to represent the YWCA at the county fair. You and your beautiful cake. Oh, thanks. Betty will be... What? Yes, that's right. Oh, but you can't. You, you don't know what I put into it. Now, now, your recipe is your own precious secret. Oh, this is silly. I don't know how to cook. No false modesty, Mr. Blaine. But I tell you, Not I... a word now. I'll see you in the fair. <laughs> Gosh, I hate to think what'll happen if Betty hears about this. I started out to be a serious, dignified businessman, and now I'm a, a male prudence penny. A penny that feels just like two cents. You call me to powder, keep smiling just right. When two is company, take it from me, a breath of trouble is very NG. Yes, indeed, that little breath of trouble, I mean unpleasing breath, may ruin your romance, even jeopardize your job. Yet anyone can be the victim of unpleasing breath, even you. Just do this. Brush your teeth night and morning and before every date with Colgate Tooth Powder. For Colgate Tooth Powder cleans your breath as it cleans your teeth. Yes, scientific tests have definitely proved that in seven cases out of ten... Colgate Tooth Powder instantly stops unpleasing breath that originates in the mouth. What's more, no dentifrice at any price cleans your teeth more quickly and thoroughly than Colgate Tooth Powder. Remember to buy it first thing. And remember the name Colgate Tooth Powder with the accent on powder. Don't take a chance with your romance. Use Colgate Tooth Powder. Well, when it comes to getting into trouble, Mel takes the cake. In this case, the beautiful cake he made with the aid of a little putty. We find Uncle Rupert trying to understand just what happened to Mel. Let me get this straight, Melvin. Your cake is going to represent the YWCA at the fair? But I tell you, Uncle Rupert, I was an innocent dupe. Dupe? That's a strange pronunciation. <laughs> oh, I tried to explain to Miss Stanhope, but she wouldn't listen. You should have made her listen, my lad. You could have done it. You've got something on the ball. Yeah. Yeah, I've got something on the ball. A great big number eight. Ah, look. Here comes Mrs. Longnecker down the street. My beloved Clara. So what? So everything, my lad. Don't you know she's the honorary judge at the cake contest tomorrow? She is? I'll just explain this culinary comedy of errors, and she'll make sure your name isn't even mentioned. You know, I can mold Clara like putty in my hands. <laughs> What's the matter? What's the matter? <laughs> putty. Putty, don't ever mention that word. Ah, Clara, my dear, it's good to see you. You're as radiant Rupert, as... Rupert, you're getting fat. I... Huh? I think I carry my weight rather well, my dear. You don't carry it, you drag it. How are you feeling today, Mrs. Longnecker? Oh, I'm so weary, Melvin. I spent the whole day trying to find a suitable safe deposit box for my money. 
And would you believe it, in this whole town, there was only one that would do. Well, that's good. But I can't use it. Why not? There's a family living in it now. <laughs> oh. Oh, money, money, money. My millions cause me nothing but misery. I'd be glad to share your misery, my dear. <laughs> Please, Rupert, none of your nincompoopity. <laughs> nincompoopity. Well, excuse me, Mrs. Longnecker, I've got something to do. Oh, uh, Uncle, don't forget to ask uh, you-know-what. What? What? What, 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 Rupert? Well, my dear, tomorrow at the fair, when you're judging the cake, if you happen to come across one with Melvin's name on it... Melvin! Melvin baked a cake? Well, it's a long story, but would you... Would I? Oh, you want me to see that Melvin's cake wins. You want me to open my big, generous heart and say yes. On the contrary, my dear, I want you to open your big, generous mouth and say no. <laughs> what I meant was... You're positively insulting. Good day. Hey, how'd you make out, Uncle Rupert? Is she going to do anything about my cake? Uh, I'm afraid not, nephew. Oh, but you well, said... Well, for all you know, Betty might be glad to know that you're a good cook. Oh, I'm a good cook, all right. A wonderful cook. I'm the only one in the world who can bake a cake and cook his own goose at the same time. <laughs> What would happen, well, just suppose, for instance, uh, a man won the cake contest today. A man? Oh, don't be ridiculous, darling. No man would enter a cake contest at the fair. Oh, he wouldn't, huh? What's the matter with you, darling? You seem so nervous. Uh, look, honey, I know I make a lot of mistakes, but I keep trying to improve myself because, well, because I love you. I know. Oh, Melvin, may I see you a moment? Oh, pardon me, Betty. I'll see what Uncle Rupert wants. Nephew, your worries are over. Your old uncle is going to take care of that confounded cake. Now look, it's almost time for the contest. Do anything. Have you seen Zookie around? No, but there's Dr. Crab, the dog doctor. Maybe he has. I'll see you later. Dr. Crab, that dried-up dog doctor. Oh, well. Oh, Christopher, have you seen Zookie? Zookie? No, Rupert, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> What's the matter with you? Nothing's the matter with me. <laughs> Just got a catch in my throat. <laughs> Could I have a pan of water? <laughs> Christopher, you're even getting to sound like a dog. Oh, thank you, Rupert. No, I don't feel so good today. <laughs> Would you see if my nose is cold? <laughs> oh, you're okay. Surprising that you managed to tear yourself away from those dogs. Yeah, I love my dogs. Man's best friend. <laughs> you know, sometimes it takes me hours just to give them dinner. What do you do? Feed them one by one? Yep. To each his bone. <laughs> Why, sometimes... Look, Christopher, I'm in a hurry. I've got to find Zookie. You know, they're judging the livestock here today. My cow could have been the best cow in the show, but there was a blot on her record. <laughs> Your cow had a blot on her record? Yeah. Those milk people once fired her for being discontented. <laughs> Please, please, go away. Go away. All right, Rupert. But remember, a cow has the kind of shape that gives us many laughs. Her thighs are bad, her ankles worse. 
But she sure has pretty calves. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I thought I'd never find you. Yeah, I'm sure glad you did. I was lost. Now listen carefully. Nell is in trouble. One of us has to sneak into that tent where the cakes are. Yeah. One of us has to eat up Nell's cake. Every last crumb of it. Yeah. One of us has to take the chance of being caught and thrown out. No. But Zookie, it's for Mel. Oh, <laughs> uh, why didn't you say so? Mmm, <laughs> marble cake. <laughs> Very tasty. <laughs> uh, I think I just swallowed one of the marbles. <laughs> Yeah, this just hits the, the, the spot. <laughs> I wish it didn't hit so hard. What are you doing? Don't tell me you're eating Melvin's cake. Okay. <laughs> I won't tell you. Put that cake down. I'm, I am, as fast as I can. <laughs> oh, do you know what you've done? That was the YWCA entry in the contest. I'm going to take you to the fair officials at once. I'm going to take you there if I have to carry you. Well, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all through. Gosh. <laughs> I'll have to be carried. <laughs> Just be a minute now, dear, before Mrs. Longnecker announces the winner. Yeah. Oh, darling, I've got a hunch I'm going to win. Mel, aren't you glad I'm a good cook? After we're married, you'll be well fed. Yeah. My dad used to say, just get married, son, and you'll soon get fed up. What? Oh, well, I didn't mean... Oh, oh, there's Mrs. Longnecker now. Ladies and gentlemen, there were two cakes tied for first place in the contest. One made by Betty Colby. Darling, my cake. The other representing the YWCA. Oh, no. Unfortunately, the YWCA cake was destroyed completely. Hooray! Mr. Blank, please. But just because that cake was destroyed, it made up my mind. A young man passing by could not resist it. He ate every last crumb of it. Yes, that's what this boy Zuki did. Zuki, oh. Obviously, a lovable American boy is a better judge of cake than I am. And so, I award the Domestic Science Cup to Mel Blank. Mel. Mel, what does this mean? I've got to go. Where are you going, Mel? Uh, I think I smell my fudge burning. <laughs> Come out from under that counter. Oh, I was just looking for Zuki. Well, you won't find him there. Oh, but you don't understand. I'm worried about him. Anything might have happened to him, Betty. Why don't you worry about what happened to me? I was never so embarrassed. Oh, I know, honey. Gosh, I'm sorry. That catty Muriel Graves wanted to know if I still loved you, even with your dishpan hands. Oh. Uh... Mr. Thurston, president of your lodge, stopped me and... Yeah, I know. He's going to transfer me to the ladies' auxiliary. <laughs> you one with your own little hands. Well, go on, read the inscription. Well, okay. 
Oh, no. Go on, read it, read it. Go on. To the kitchen queen, <laughs> who's sure to make some man an ideal wife. <laughs> and I have to be engaged to Miss Kitchen Queen of 1946. Oh, gee. And you were going down to the YWCA to get their business. I got the business. Well, won't you let me explain? I went to the YWCA to fix an oven, but Miss Stanhope made me bake a cake. <laughs> the only reason my cake looked like anything at all is because I put putty in it to make it stand up. You... Oh, now, putty. Oh, darling. Well, it's no laughing matter. Zuki ate it. For all I know, the poor kid may be in the hospital right now. Oh, no wonder you were so worried about Zuki. Hey, uh, did somebody call me? Oh, Zuki, are you all right? Hey, maybe we ought to call a doctor, huh? Oh, yeah, Zuki, how do you feel? Oh, I, I feel uh, fine. I feel uh, great. I was uh, singing all the way home. Singing? Yeah, it's the it's, it's cement mixer, putty putty. <laughs> We'll be back in a minute for a Zookieism. What's a Zookieism? Oh, wait and see. Use Colgate tooth powder. Keep smiling just right. Use it each morning and use it each night. Don't take a chance with your romance. Use Colgate tooth powder. Young man, have you wondered why opportunity stays away from your door? Perhaps a little breath of trouble, I mean unpleasing breath, has caught up with you. It's best to be on your guard. So do this. Brush your teeth night and morning and before every date with Colgate Tooth Powder. For Colgate Tooth Powder cleans your breath as it cleans your teeth. Yes, scientific tests have definitely proved that in seven cases out of ten, Colgate Tooth Powder instantly stops unpleasing breath that originates in the mouth. What's more, no dentifrice at any price cleans your teeth more quickly and thoroughly than Colgate Tooth Powder. Remember to buy it first thing. And remember the name Colgate Tooth Powder with the accent on powder. Don't take a chance with your romance. Use Colgate Tooth Powder. Well, Zuki, we had quite a mix-up at the fair today. I'd like to feel you profited by it. Yes, my lad. It should have taught you what people should do to stay out of trouble. What should they do? Well, uh, the, the, uh, 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 stay out of trouble, huh? Yeah. Well, uh, the, uh, uh, people should uh, look before they uh, uh, People should mind their peas and People should let them eat cake. Reminding you that Colgate Tooth Powder for a breath of sweet and teeth sparkle brings you the Mel Blanc Show every Tuesday at the same time. Be sure to join us again next Tuesday night for more fun with Mel and the people you'll meet in Mel Blanc Fix-It Shop. Say hello to Halo Shampoo if you want naturally bright and beautiful hair. For Halo Shampoo contains no soap, therefore leaves no dulling soap film. Halo lets hair sparkle with natural brilliance. Even in hardest water, Halo makes oceans of rich, fragrant lather to quickly carry away loose dandruff and dirt. Halo needs no lemon or vinegar in. Say hello to Halo and goodbye to dulling soap film. Get Halo shampoo at any cosmetic counter. The Mel Blanc Show was written by David Victor and Herb Little Jr. and was produced and directed by Joe Ryan. Ladies, here are some hard facts about soap, about all kinds of soap. Laundry, bath, flakes, toilet soap, all the precious stuff that lathers and cleans. You're not getting nearly as much soap as you need because the soap makers aren't getting nearly as much fat as they require. It's due to the worldwide shortage of fats and oils. 
One terrible cause of this shortage is the famine in so many parts of the world. So we cannot expect any great increase in the imports of fats and oils for a long time. It means we have to make up the shortage ourselves. If you want to see products like soap, nylons, and the other badly needed articles in more plentiful supply, do help supply the fats needed to make them. Save and sell every ounce of used kitchen fat. Your grocer will pay you four cents a pound. Broadcasting system. Here is Vern Smith with an important announcement. Ladies, what's your complexion problem? My skin's so dingy. Mine's oily. My skin's dull, coarse-looking. For a lovelier complexion, you must stop improper cleansing. Instead, use palm olive soap the way doctors advised. Leading skin specialists have now proved the palm olive plan, using nothing but palm olive soap, can bring fresher, brighter complexions. Yes, regardless of age, type of skin, or previous beauty care. Now, here's what these doctors advise. Wash your face with palm olive soap. Massaging for one minute with palm olive's soft, lovely lather. This cleansing massage brings your skin palm olive soap's full beautifying effect. Rinse. Do this three times a day for 14 days. It's that simple. But remember, 36 doctors, leading skin specialists, advise this way for 1,285 women with all types of skin. Dry, oily, normal, young, older. And prove this plan using palm olive alone, nothing else, really works for two out of three. So for a lovelier complexion, forget all other beauty care. Instead, do as these doctors advise. Use palm olive for a fresher, brighter complexion. For loveliness all over, use big, thrifty bath size palm olive in your tub or shower. Ladies and gentlemen, the Railroad Hour. And from Hollywood, here comes the star-studded show train. Tonight, your railroads through the Association of American Railroads present the sparkling musical comedy hit, Anything Goes. In our star-studded cast, you will hear the host of our series, Gordon McRae. Two famous guest stars, Margaret Whiting and Victor Moore. And a great cast of Hollywood featured players. The entire production set to the music of Carmen Dragon's orchestra and brought to you by the American Railroads. The same railroads that bring you most of the food you eat, the clothes you wear, the fuel you burn, and the things you use in your daily life. And now, here is Gordon McRae. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gordon McRae helping to bring you another in our series of musical comedy successes. Tonight, the Railroad Hour show train presents Anything Goes by Guy Bolton and P.G. Wodehouse with lyrics and music by Cole Porter and starring Margaret Whiting as Reno Sweeney, Victor Moore in his original role of Moonface McGee, yours truly as Billy Crocker, and a great supporting cast including Betty Lou Gerson, Ralph Sedan, Bill Demling, and Herb Vigran. 
Marvin Miller is our announcer. Our chorus is under the direction of Norman Luboff, and our orchestra is presided over by Maestro Carmen Dragon, who is now playing the final strains of our overture. Gordon McRae again, this time in the character of Billy Crocker. So from now on, anything goes. A very good friend of mine, the famous nightclub entertainer, Reno Sweeney, was sailing at midnight with the girls to appear at a very swank spot in England. So I hurried down to the dock to see her off. When I got there, the passengers were screaming aboard, the band was playing, and I began elbowing my way through the crowd looking for Reno. All at once, I saw her and her girls going up the gangplank, so I dashed up after them and yelled, Reno! Reno! Look who came down to say bon voyage. Oh, Billy! Billy, darling, I didn't think you'd remember. Oh, gosh, I wish you were sailing to London with me. Ah, <laughs> London. Why, I haven't even got the fear to Hoboken. E.J. Kitney's my ex-boss again, Reno. Well, what have you done this time? Well, remember the night I stood you up, Reno? Well, if this is that ridiculous story about being stuck in an elevator for six hours, I don't want to hear about it. Ah, but I was stuck, Reno. There was a girl in that elevator. Three eyes, maybe? Oh, now, Reno, you know what I mean. I took one look at her, and I knew this was it. For six hours, all I did was lean on that stop button and look. I found out her name was Hope, Hope Smith. That took you six hours? Well, you used to get a phone number in six seconds. Ah, but this is different. And Reno, for four days, I've been all over Manhattan trying to find her. Oh, she was an angel. Well, maybe I saw her. What color are her wings? Huh. Reno, you, you sound a little sore. Oh, Billy, what's the use of kidding? You know I've always had it bad for you. Ah, you'll forget all about me in London. Why, monocles will be dropping into your lap like butterflies. Just think of all the excitement ahead. What excitement, Billy? It'll be as dull as a London fog without you. My story is much too sad to be told But practically everything leaves me totally cold The only exception I know is the case When I'm out on a quiet spree Fighting Suddenly turn and see your fabulous face. I get no kick from champagne. Mere alcohol doesn't thrill me at all. So tell me why should it be true? I get a kick out of you Some like that perfume from Spain I'm sure that if I took even one whiff That would bore me terrifically 
get a kick every time I see you standing there before me. I get a kick, though it's clear to me you obviously don't adore. I sing this refrain Each tender note Mr. Cole Porter wrote Gives me totally nothing that's new How can you tell a girl who's that way about you that you're in love with someone else? You can't. Yet you do the best you can, and if the gal's a pal like Reno, she understands. Just as I was about to kiss Reno goodbye, a man dressed in the clothes of a minister stepped directly in between us. <laughs> he looked and talked suspiciously like a fellow I knew named Victor Moore as he looked up timidly at Reno and me and said, uh, 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 Would you folks mind if I just stood between you for a few minutes, say about 30? <laughs> Watch it, Billy. Hey, Reverend. I was just about to kiss Miss Sweeney goodbye. Well, go right ahead. I want to But, Reverend, you're standing between us. Well, I don't like drafts. I'm supposed to meet a pal by the gangplank here. He's coming aboard with 50 grand. Uh, 50,000. You mean $50,000? Uh, yeah, for missionary work in Africa. <laughs> Little pygmies. Say, how do you get to be a little pygmy? Well, the first thing is, don't grow. Uh, Reverend, pardon me, but your suitcase. Huh? It's open, and I may be wrong, but isn't that a machine gun nestling among your socks? Oh, 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 oh I, I must have that catch fixed. My gang, uh, uh, my parish gave me that gun... <laughs> As a going-away present for wild tigers and things. Ooh. 
Reverend, you better look for that pal of yours with the 50 grand. Yeah, I suppose so, but it was certainly nice and cozy here between you. Oh, feel free to drop in any time, Reverend. Yeah, and you do the same in my cabin. It's B1. I hope he makes a vote, because I just hate to travel alone. Billy, take the next boat over. Well, Reno, there's there's Hope. There is? I mean, Hope Smith. Oh. And uh, then there's my job. Well, I thought you said you were fired again. Oh, I was, but E.J. said he would hire me back if I found out who controls Bailey's Incorporated. He wants to buy it for $3 million. You've got a hunt for a guy you want to pay $3 bucks to? Why? Well, it's uh, sort of high finance. Somebody holds a stock that controls the holding company, that controls the holding company, that controls the holding company, that controls Bailey's Incorporated. I'm sorry I asked. I never got past that first holding company, and neither will you. Oh, yes, I will, Reno. Well, okay, Billy. You better kiss me goodbye. Reno. Reno, look. Going in that door. Oh, Billy, what's the matter? It was Hope, the girl in the elevator, the girl I'm looking for. Ah! You've got to get off the boat. I can't lose her now that I've found her. Oh, Billy, you're out of your mind. You haven't got a ticket or a passport or clothes or anything. And what about your job? Oh, to heck with the job. To heck with everything. I'm sailing. Well, that won't go with your boss. Boss or no boss. When you're in love, anything goes. In olden days, a glimpse of stocking was looked on as something shocking. Now heaven knows anything goes. Good authors do. Once do better words, now only used for letter words, writing prose. Anything goes. The world has gone mad today, and good's bad today, and black's white today, and day's night today, when most guys today that women prize today are just silly gigolos. So though I'm not a great romancer, I know that you're bound to answer when I propose. Why, anything goes. Anything goes. Why, sure. You know, Reno... Way back in the days of mom and pop. Well, I know what you're going to say. That anything went from soup to bebop. Songwriting used to be so lyrical. Now it just sounds satirical with that. Oop, pop, da And there I was, en route to England, standing alone on deck at two in the morning without ticket, without passport. Over an hour before, I had sent a note to Hope asking her to meet me up on deck right away. And just as I was about to give up Hope, I heard the patter of tiny feet. Billy! Oh, Billy! I just got your note. Hope! Oh, at last I found you. Ever since that night in the elevator, I searched for you. I must have phoned over a million Smiths. I got nickel happy. Oh, Billy, I didn't 
give you my telephone number for a reason. Reason? What reason? Our souls touch between the sixth and seventh floors of the Ritz Plaza Hotel. Oh, but there are reasons, very good ones. I'm sailing with my mother and Sir Evelyn Oakley, my fiancé. You're what? We're going to be married in England, Billy. Oh, now, darling, you can stop all this nonsense about a fiancé and marriage right now. It's not nonsense. Family, business, money, you can't know how important my marrying Evelyn is. Well, you, you forgot about it one night in an elevator. And you're going to forget it again because tonight we've got a moon, a very beautiful moon. This is so silly and hopeless. Why, I don't even know the first thing about you. Oh, yes, you do. The first thing about me is that I love you. Why, you've been with me every night since the first night I saw you. All through the night I delight in your love All through the night You're so close to me Kiss me, sweetheart. It's even better than I dreamed. But a dream is all it can ever be between us, Billy. Now I must go. With that moon shining down on us like that? Oh, hope you can't. Well, if I stop to think twice. Well, don't think twice. Think once. Then I'll stay. Oh, darling. And We'll be back with Anything Goes in just a moment. But first, here's a reminder. 
as you know, America enjoys the services of many forms of transportation and finds use for them all. But there is nothing in existence and nothing in sight that could take the place of railroads in handling transportation requirements so varied and so vast as those of America. That may be one reason why General Brehan Somerville, who during the recent war was in charge of the whole tremendous business of supplying the United States Army, called the railroads the backbone of our transportation system, and declared that, quote, they must be maintained and developed primarily against the day when we should again have to call upon them to implement the defense of these United States. End of quotation. What General Somerville said about the railroads in the emergency of war is just as true in time of peace. For America's basic transportation runs on rail. And now back to Anything Goes and Gordon McRae as Billy Crocker. All through the night, with hope by my side, I, I didn't worry at all. But in the cold gray light of dawn, I remember that I had no money, no clothes, no ticket, and no passport. I also remember the Reverend Moon. So I dashed below and burst into the Reverend's stateroom. All right, now, don't shoot, don't shoot. I'll come quietly. <laughs> Why, what's the matter, Reverend? Oh, it's you. I, uh, I was expecting someone else. Well, you, you said I could use your cabin if your pal didn't show up, and, uh... Oh, I'm awfully glad to see you. He didn't show up, and I've been very, very lonesome. Well, I, I don't know how long I'll be here, Reverend. I, I haven't a ticket or anything. Oh, I can fix that up for you. Here's my pal's ticket, and here. Here's his passport. That's big of you, Reverend. Well, I am big in a small way. <laughs> uh... What's the matter? Anything wrong? For the passport? Well, uh, Reverend, I, I don't mind posing as James Hill, but this picture. Oh, yeah. Well, we can give you that scar with a knife. <laughs> I can broaden out your nose if you just let me jump on it once or twice. Now, listen, if anybody's going to jump on my nose, I'll do it myself, Reverend. Well, I have a little confession to make to you. I'm, uh, I'm not a Reverend. Well, don't worry. Maybe you'll be promoted next year. Now, let's see. The uh, first thing I have to have is uh, something to wear besides this tuxedo. Now, you don't understand. This may be a shock to you, but I'm Moonface McGee. <laughs> Your face is fine with me, Reverend. Uh, where could I get a suit? Uh, just a minute. I'm a crook. I'm public enemy number 13. <laughs> of course, it's just a temporary rating. That Washington crowd has got it in for me. I should at least be number nine. Uh, or, uh, well, 10 or 11, maybe. <laughs> Reverend, please, I've, I've, I've got a lot on my mind. Are you listening to me? I'll blow your head off. Huh? What? Hey, Reverend, don't point that machine gun I at me. I guess you'll believe I'm Moonface McGee now. This is my old friend, Putt-Putt-Putt. Well, Putt-Putt-Putt it down. <laughs> You're my pal. I, I wouldn't give you away, Reverend. Oh, just call me Doc. Okay, Doc. Now, don't be afraid. I got put, put, put right here in my hand. <laughs> come, 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 come in. Say, what's going... Wow! Lay that machine gun down, Reverend. Reno, 
You might as well know. I'm Moonface McGee. I'm a very dangerous man. All right, so you're dangerous. What gives, Billy? Well, number one, I've got to get some clothes so I can get up on deck and see Hope. Oh, that's easy. Swap yourself a sailor suit. There's a dozen of them hanging out in the poop deck. At least, I think I mean poop deck. <laughs> Say, I think I could use you in, in my line of business. You always come through, Reno. Let's see, Billy. I'd say you take about a size 40. I'll be back in a couple of minutes. Oh, Doc, you're a saint. Now, don't say that to Public Enemy 13. <laughs> it's subversive. Billy, what goes with Hope? Oh, it's not so good, Reno. She's going to England to marry one Sir Evelyn Oakley. Oh, that must be Mr. All Teeth and No Chin I just met up on deck. Would it help any if I sort of got next to him, Bill? Oh, would it help? Oh, what a pal you are. Gee, I, I don't know how to tell you, Reno. Well, don't try it, Billy. Let me. Add words poetic. You're so pathetic that you always have found it best. Instead of getting them off your chest, you let them rest unexpressed. I hate parading my serenading, as I'll probably miss a bar. But if this ditty is not so pretty, at least let me tell you how great you are. You're the top. You're the Coliseum. You're the top. You're the Louvre Museum. You're a melody from a symphony by Strauss. You're an Ascot bonnet, a Shakespeare sonnet, your Blanding's house. Oh, you're the Nile, you're the Tower of Pisa, you're the smile of the Mona Lisa. I'm a worthless check, a total wreck, a flop, but if, baby, I'm the bottom, you're the top. Expensive candy, you're the top. You're Napoleon brandy. You're the purple light of a summer night in Spain. You're the National Gallery, your Crosby salary, your cellophane. You're sublime. You're a turkey dinner. You're the time of the Derby winner. I'm a toy balloon that has faded soon to pop. But if baby on the bottom, you're the top. You're the top. You're a Waldorf salad. You're the top. You're a Merlin salad. I'm just in the way as a friends would say to drop. Oh, I still, oh, I still feel I'm the bottom. You're the While Reno and I were busy patting each other on the back, the Reverend Moon had raided the clothesline and came back carrying a sailor suit over his arm. Billy, uh, the only one I could get my hands on was size 48. But maybe it'll give you a sort of a full draped effect. Moonface, I could kiss you. Oh, right here in front of Miss Sweeney. Oh, Billy, you're going to look cute in a sailor suit. Try it on. Oh, I don't care how I look, just so I can talk to Hope. What's happening? 
Uh, I've been afraid of this. We may have to shoot our way out of here. I've got put, put, put already. Doc, put down that gun. All right, hands up, Snake Eyes. We've got you covered. Hello, Captain. Oh, Reverend, good work. I see you got hold of his machine gun and got him covered. Captain, what's going on here? That man you thought was a friend, Miss Sweeney, is none other than public enemy number one. <laughs> but this is ridiculous. Aren't you traveling on a passport made out to one James Hill? Yes. Well, I just received a radiogram from Washington informing me that James Hill is just an alias for Snake Eyes Johnson. <laughs> All right, men, take him to the brig. Now, just a minute, Captain. Yes, Reverend? There's good in every man, even Snake Eyes Johnson. What would putting him in the brig do but keep him from seeing hope? I mean, having hope. I mean, uh... Keep working, Doc. I'm with you. Moonface, I love you. It'll be a sacrifice, Captain, but for the rest of the trip, I'd like you to hand over Snake Eyes to me. And maybe by the time we get to London... He'll be the kind of a man I am. Well, hallelujah! Well, this would be highly irregular. I feel like a better man already, Captain. Well, there you are. There's good in everybody, just like there's sin in everybody. Are you without sin, Captain? Well, <clears throat> now that you mention it... We've all got sin, but we can cast it out. I'm going to search your hearts, folks. You tell them, Reno. Do you hear that playing? Yes, I hear that playing. Do you know who's playing? No, who is that playing? Why, it's Gabriel, Gabriel playing. Gabriel, Gabriel playing. Gabriel, Gabriel saying. Gabriel, Gabriel saying. Will you be ready to go when I blow my horn? Blow, Gabriel, blow. Go on and blow, Gabriel, blow. I've been a sinner, I've been a scamp, but now I'm willing to trim my lamp. Blow, Gabriel, blow. I was low, Gabriel, low. That's mighty low, Gabriel, low. But now since I've seen the light, I'm good by day and I'm good by night. So blow, Gabriel, blow. Once I was headed below. Once she was headed below. But when I got to Satan's door, I heard you blowing on your horn once more. So I said, Satan, farewell. And now I'm all ready to fly. He has to fly higher and higher and higher. Because I've gone through the brimstone and I've been through the fire. And I've purged my soul and my heart too. So climb up the mountains, I'll bet start to flow, Gabriel. And start to flow. Go on and blow, Gabriel. Go on and blow, Gabriel. of expensive dinners. Stand up on your lazy feet and sing. Come on and blow, Gabriel, blow. Go on and blow, Gabriel, blow. I've been a sinner, I've been a scamp, but now I'm willing to dip my lamp. So blow, Gabriel, blow. And now we're I've gone through 
the brimstone and I've been through the fire and I've purged my soul and my heart too so climb up the mountain top and start to I was sure that everybody would give me the cold shoulder when they thought I was Snake Eyes Johnson and Public Enemy Number One. Instead, the girls flocked around me up on deck like bees around honey. Mr. Johnson, may I have your autograph? Mr. Johnson, you kiss me, please, honey. Get your place in line. There's no waiting over here in line. Tell us about your early life, Mr. Johnson. I was just beginning to enjoy myself and getting all set to tell him I was born with a silver gat in my mouth. When I looked up and there, standing before me, was... My sweetheart, Hope and her charming fiancé, Sir Evelyn Oakley. I say, Hope, what is going on? Nothing of importance, Evelyn. Let's get out of here. Hope. Clamor, Billy. No, wait a minute, Hope. I'm not public enemy number one, two, three, or four. I'm just Billy Crocker, out of a job, out of money, out of everything, but nothing matters so long as I get the girl I love. Oh, but that's impossible, Billy. Man, throw this imposter in the brig. Wait a minute. Just a minute. Yes, Reverend. If you want a real public enemy, Captain, I can help you out. You? Oh, yes. I'm not a Reverend at all. I'm Moonface McGee. Uh, and uh, who is that? You haven't heard of Moonface McGee? <laughs> Why, I'm public enemy number 13. I'd be much higher if it weren't for that crowd in Washington. So if any of you girls would like to kiss me or cut off a button or two for a souvenir, well, here I am. Don't be bashful, anybody. Men, throw both these bums in the brig. Don't worry, Hope, darling. I'm not going to give up yet. I'll find some way to get out, and what's more, I'll, I'll find some way to stop your marriage to Cerebrum, too. Oh, too late for that old thing. Our train leaves 20 minutes after we dock. Your train? That's right, darling. But it isn't right, darling. It isn't right at all, because you'll get no kick in a train planning to marry some Tom, Dick, or Harry and carry the torch in your life Because I get a As General Somerville said in the speech I quoted to you a few minutes ago, our railroads must be maintained and developed as an essential element of our national defense. And these same railroads are the main arteries of American commerce. Since the recent war, they have carried more passenger travel, 
They have moved more tons of freight, more miles. They have gotten more service out of each freight car than ever before in time of peace. In doing so, they have set new all-time records in the amount of transportation service turned out by the average freight train, all as part of America's unprecedented go-ahead drive toward maximum production and better living. As their part of this drive, the railroads are spending a billion dollars a year on new cars and engines, new tracks and signals, new plant and equipment of every sort to provide better and better service for you. In getting these new things, railroads have met the same sort of shortages and difficulties which have kept you from getting all the new things you would like to have. But the new passenger cars which were ordered during and just after the war are coming into service. More and more each day, we are seeing luxurious new coaches and sleeping cars, new dining and lounge cars, new streamlined trains on the rails. And the all-important freight car fleet is growing. Since the war, nearly 200,000 new freight cars have been put in service, but still more are needed, and the railroads are making every effort to get them. They have ordered another 100,000 new cars, enough to keep all the car builders busy for a year to come. So, right now, with the year's peak movement of freight with us, the railroads are not only working to meet today's needs, but are planning and preparing to meet any greater emergency which might be ahead. We'll return to Anything Goes in just a moment after a brief pause for station identification. And here again is Gordon McRae in the character of Billy Crocker. For four days, Moon and I sat on the brig together. I knew we must be in England, but nobody came to tell us. And Moon spent most of his time trying to peek out the tiny porthole. Suddenly, his voice held a small ray of hope. Yep, yep, we're in England, all right. Somebody lifted the frog, and I can see a teeny-weensy piece of the dock. Well, you better make it a good look. That's about all we'll ever get to see of England on this trip. Uh, Billy, cheer up. Maybe we're looking on the dark side too much. Oh, Doc, the only thing that can help me is seeing Hope. The note she sent me is breaking my heart. Now, Billy, don't read that note again. You know, I cry easy. But I've got to read it. Listen. Darling Billy, I, I understand everything, but nothing can be done. <laughs> oh, Billy, please. I love you, but I'm marrying Sir Evelyn. Forget about me, but always love me. <laughs> I told you not to read that again. I got to get out of here, Doc. Somehow, someway, I've got to get to Hope. What's that? Swine, Miss Sweeney. Well, thank you, guard. Hello, boys. Here's the first cake I ever baked to cheer you up on your way back to New York. What do we want a cake for at a time like this? Yeah, what for? Uh, what flavor is it? Well, it's, um, it's pistachio. Ah, that's one flavor I can't stand. Well, it's not exactly pistachio. It's more, um, caramel meringue orange. Take the cake. 
It looks terrible. What's that big lump in the center? Take the cake. We don't want that mouth-eating piece of pastry. Nah. Take the cake. Uh, your, your time is up, Miss Sweeney, and I guess you ain't sorry, huh? Oh, they're just a little stir-crazy, that's all. Maybe it'll help if I sing them an old song. We don't no, want to hear any old don't. songs. Well, you're going to hear this one. It goes, take the cake. There's a file right in it. Take the cake. You'll be out in a minute. Oh. You're quite a dame, and you'll win your fame on Earth as a gorgeous spy in the FBI. Eleven words. <laughs> All the time Moon and I were trying to file our way out of the brig, I was picturing Hope and that buck-toothed fiancé of hers, Sir Evelyn, smug and serene in his feudal English castle, getting ready for their marriage ceremony. Oh, dear, dear. Well, Hope, old gal, now you've seen Oakley Manor, and in an hour you'll be the mistress of it. I know, Evelyn. Frankly, I couldn't be unhappier. Neither could I. Uh, oh, you see, old dear, I met a gal on board ship named Reno. We spent a good deal of time in a lifeboat together. Well, that's all right, Evelyn. You see, there was a boy on board ship, too. His name was Billy. Oh, oh fortunate we all didn't head for the same lifeboat. What? <laughs> well, yes, I guess... Oh! Uh, what's the matter? Oh, that... that, that... At the French door. Oh, it's just me. Come on, kids. It's all right. Oh, Billy. Hope, darling. And Reno. Oh. Evie, I've missed you and all those lovely teeth. Oh. <laughs> Isn't there anybody for me? I've got news for you, Evie. You're not marrying Hope. Oh, fine with me, old boy. <laughs> Impossible, I'm afraid. My pater and Hopi's mate are working on the deal right now. A deal? What kind of deal? Well, you see, my pater controls Grayson's Limited. And when I marry Hope, he also gets control of Bailey's Incorporated. Bailey's Incorporated? Hope, what have you got to do with Bailey's? Well, my father left me stock that controls the holding company, that controls the holding company, that controls the holding company, that controls Bailey's. You? Hope, Hope, darling, you're the one I've been looking for. Billy, I know you love me, but Evelyn's father's paying $50,000 for that stock. $50,000. Look, do you know what I've got right here in my pocket? Right here I have a contract from Kitney, 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 and I hope someday Crocker, offering $3 million for that stock. Oh, oh, oh I say, isn't this jolly? Oh, uh, <laughs> now you don't have to marry me, Hope. Oh, Reno. Is there something bothering you, Evie? Oh, dear, dear. Uh, would you consider becoming Lady Oakley? Would I? Uh, I'm just sorry my old man isn't here. He said I'd never be a lady, but I made it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we might spend the honeymoon in the lifeboat. What? <laughs> uh, this is all peachy, but I'm wondering if I could use the same hideout you're going to, Billy. I get awfully lonesome. Hideout? Well, you're in England without a passport, and by now I'm probably way up on the list of public enemies. <laughs> I've been working awful hard. Well, I don't understand it. I cabled the State Department about you both this morning, <laughs> but I haven't got an answer. Oh, dear. Possibly that's what this wireless for you is, Hope. Uh, I thought it might be congratulatory, and I didn't want to depress you. Oh. Here, I'll read it, Evelyn. Oh. Yep. 
Here it is. Temporary passport granted William Crocker. Anything about me, boy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's something about you, too, Doc. Pretty bad, huh? Well, go ahead and read it to me. It says, Moonface McGee, off public enemy lists entirely. Not wanted anywhere, absolutely harmless. <laughs> Let me say that. I just don't understand this administration. <laughs> well, don't worry, Doc. Hope and I want you to be best man at our wedding. Oh, oh might as well make it a double wedding. What? <laughs> well, fine. I'll bring put, 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 and make it a double-barrel machine gun wedding. Oh, Hope, darling, we're going to be so happy. And then once again will I know I was wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Gordon McRae giving a special vote of thanks to our two guest stars this evening, Miss Margaret Whiting and Mr. Victor Moore, and to the other members of tonight's cast for their fine performances in our production of Anything Goes, which was adapted for radio by Don Etlinger. Next week, our star-studded show train will arrive in the same tracks at the same time. On board will be the Metropolitan Opera star, Miss Reza Stevens, Mr. Fortunio Bonanova, and we have also invited Mr. Adolf Maju to join me in bringing you the famous Jerome Kern operetta, The Cat and the Fiddle, with our chorus under the direction of Norman Luboff and the music arranged and conducted by Carmen Dragon. Well, it looks as though we're ready to pull out, so until next week, goodbye. Friends, remember, during the coming week, as always, the American railroads will provide for you the dependable, low-cost transportation which is so essential to the American way of living. Anything Goes has been presented by special arrangement with Tam's Whitmark Music Library. Gordon McRae appeared on this program by arrangement with Warner Brothers. This is Marvin Miller speaking. The Railroad Hour is brought to you each week at this time by the Association of American Railroads. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.